Well, hey guys, we're gonna get started. We're gonna get started tonight. I love uh, I love the amount of fellowship that we've been having. The fellowship is continuing. This is this is great. This is great. Well, hey guys, we're gonna get started tonight. Um, I'm super stoked about this evening. Uh, in the portion of scripture we're going to be in uh, last last week, we heard an amazing message from uh, uh, Josh. Josh covered all of Romans chapter three. So if you weren't here, uh, you can go to hcfclackamas.org, click on listen, scroll down, uh, and you can find uh, Ecclesia Young Adults Justified series. We're going through the Book of Romans. You can listen to uh, Josh's sermon from last week. Uh, I get tonight. I get the first twelve verses uh, of Romans chapter four, and we're going to read those, and then I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about a few things, uh, and then we're going to just really dive into the meat and the heart of the word. So if you have your Bibles, uh, this is old school Pastor Matt kind of stuff right here. If you got your Bibles, uh, you want to put them up in the sky right here. Awesome. Woohoo. Super cool. Uh, and then turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 4. When you get there, let me know by saying holla. And if you're not there, let me know by saying hold up. Hold up. Hold up. All right. Well, we're going to hold up for seven seconds, and then we're going to dive in. Because seven is the number of completion. Uh, Genesis. God created the, the earth and the universe in seven days. Oh, six days on the seventh day he rested. Uh, so we're resting now in Romans chapter 4. And this is what it says. It says, What then shall we say, that Abraham our father has been found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted towards him as righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does the work, uh, or who does not work, but believes on him who justified the ungodly, his faith is accounted to him for righteousness. Just as David also described the blessedness of a man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, blesses the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or while he was uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but when he was uncircumcised. And he... Received the sign of circumcision, a seal for the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those not only are of the circumcision, but also uh, those who walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much uh, for your word. Uh, God, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, God, we thank you that your word reveals to us the motives and the intent, intents of our heart. Uh, God, and I just pray that tonight uh, you would just reveal your truth to us, God, that you would break down, um, uh, God, just through your word, um, what it means to be justified, what it means to be righteous, what it means to be uh, blessed. God, we want nothing more than to hear from you tonight. So God, I just pray that any words that would be of me, God, may they fall on deaf ears. But God, that your perfect word would come through. So God, uh, we just thank you. Uh, we praise you. Your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Uh, this is a portion of scripture uh, that talks a lot about circumcision. Uh, and we're not going to break circumcision down uh, tonight. Uh, in its full context, uh, there are other classes for that. Uh, that was a terrible joke, and so we're just moving on straight from that. Thanks for the um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, you guys might be noticing that the room is set up different, uh, that we're not using a projector, that we're not using a screen, that we have a whiteboard, uh, that I'm using a computer, that uh, the arrangement is different. You guys are a lot closer to me. Uh, you might be wondering why things are different. Uh, well, multifaceted. Uh, but the main point of it is um, we've been doing something the same way for so long. I wanted to see what some reactions might be uh, to some change. Um, now, luckily, luckily, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of negative reaction. I was hoping there would be at least one or two who reacted negatively, not in a bad way, but just they were like, this is weird. Why are we changing things? Uh, and the reason why I was doing this is because this is the very thing that Paul 
is doing when he's writing to the church in Rome. You see, what Paul is saying to the church in Rome, the church in Rome uh, would have, at least the Jews there, uh, would, would have received what Paul was saying uh, with a lot of hesitancy. Uh, they might think he's fanatical. Uh, they might think that he could very well be heretical. Uh, they have had thousands of years of living under the, the, the pretense that the law is what justified, the law is what saved, the law is what made people righteous. And now we have Paul coming out, not pulling any punches and saying, uh, the law actually doesn't pertain to your salvation at all. It is only through faith in Jesus that you're justified. Uh, he went on to tell the church in Galatia, and we're going to look at some of that tonight, uh, that it, it, it is by no means the works that saves you. He writes to the church in Ephesus, it's not by our works, lest any man should boast, but it is a free gift of God, the grace that was given, and we put our faith in that, and that is how we attain salvation. And so the church would have received this uh, very, very... Um, it, it would have come as a shock to the Jews who were in the church. They, 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 they would have been... Thinking to themselves, is Paul really someone we should be following? Is Paul really someone who we should be listening to? Because he's teaching something different than what our fathers and the patriarchs and the prophets had taught. But then what Paul's going to do is, is, is Paul does something um, very cool. My computer is freaking out sporadically up here, which is super cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, you guys can see the light just flashing. It's going intense. Um, but what Paul does is, is Paul goes right at them because their defense would be, well, no, we have the law, we have the prophets and the patriarchs. This is what they have taught us, that we must follow this law. Um, and Paul goes right at it and he says, well, I have two examples, um, and I'm going to hit you with both my examples, church and Roman Jews. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Abraham. You might recognize him or have heard of the name. Uh, you call him Father Abraham. Uh, he's actually the founder of... The, the people group, the ethnic group, the Jews. Uh, he, and he says to them, hey, I'm going to change up the way you view Abraham. And then he's going to do something uh, also, uh, not just with Abraham, but he's going to go straight to David. Uh, and he says, hey, this is your, your king. Uh, not only is it uh, your favorite king, but it's the king uh, who was establishing righteousness. It's the king who uh, God promised to send his seed through. Uh, and he says, hey, we are going to take a look at these two men's lives and we're going to show you um, where the true justification came. So if you're taking notes tonight, I love whiteboards, uh, so bear with me as I just have fun with the whiteboard. Uh, but if you're taking notes tonight, the title of our sermon is Just De Faith. Just Faith. Uh, Boom. Right? There we go. Just the faith, uh, because justification comes by faith and faith alone. I don't know if any of you guys can see this, but my computer is still freaking out sporadically on me. Um, well, is it black to you also? Okay. Oh, here it is. It's got my notes in there somewhere. I don't know why it's doing this. Um, so you just break the screen, right? And it comes, look at that. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, we're gonna hope this. Uh, hope this works. Luckily, all my notes are on my phone uh, as well. So bear with me as I pull uh, up these notes. Dan's gonna be handing out paper and pens to everyone who wants paper and pens, uh, so they can take notes. That's just an easy segue for me to pull back up my notes on my phone. Um, just in case anybody wanted to know, this is why I never use a computer. Uh, to put my notes on and preach. Josh did it last week and I thought it was super cool and I was like, oh, I'm going to be one of those dudes who uses a laptop. No, I'm never doing that again. Josh, bad example. Uh, we're sticking to handwritten notes but because I typed them up, um, we got them here. That's great. That's great. So what Paul does uh, is he takes a look at Abraham. He looks at Abraham first. And he goes on to break down how Abraham, a man who the Jews and the church, which was a group of Jews and Gentiles who believed in Abraham uh, and, and, and believed in the laws uh, that Abraham was living by. And I put living by in quotes because we're really going to break down that the law came after Abraham. 
So how could Abraham even be living by the law? And then they look at, well, circumcision predates the law, but circumcision was the covenant with God. So Abraham was justified because of his circumcision, which circumcises him into God's law and God's plan. But we're going to break down just the very way that Paul breaks down um, that this is not the case. This is not where his, his justification came. His justification comes by faith and faith alone. And what Paul could have done, he could have said to these Jews, uh, hey, I've got a very familiar story for you. Uh, let's take a look at the story where God called Father Abraham out of the land of Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. This is a place where uh, there was much wealth, much riches. Abraham had lots of land. He, he was in his father's house and he had much wealth. But God says, hey, I want you to pack up and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. Um, how many of you guys have ever uh, in your lives um, said, all right, living with my parents, it's good, I got a great thing going, um, now I'm going to go with no money, no car, uh, no support for my family, I'm just going to go where God uh, has called me, I don't know where that is yet, I'm just going to hit the road and start walking, and when I find out where I'm going to be, it works for me. Has anyone done that? Maybe to some extent. Um, if you have, that's great. That's super cool. Uh, that takes a lot of faith. Would you guys agree with me that that would take a lot of faith? Not knowing anything? Okay, so yeah, that takes a lot of faith. Abraham was a very faithful man. And Paul could have said, hey, this is awesome. Look at the faith of Abraham. This is the faith that saves Abraham. But he doesn't go there. Could have gone to a place, another familiar portion of Scripture to, to the Jews and to the church. He could have said, Remember when Abraham had his son Isaac and then God called him to sacrifice his son. So they brought him to Mount Moriah and he brings him up there and there's no lamb and he carts up all the wood and they build an altar. And then Isaac says to his dad, Abraham, hey, where's the ram? Uh, and Abraham says, you know, God will provide, but uh, he's providing you as the lamb. And, and, and so he binds up his own son and he puts his son on the altar, gets him all ready, covers him in the oil. He's going to light him on fire and offer him as a sacrifice to God. And, and, and he raises the knife. That would take a lot of faith. Wow. That would take a lot. No, none of us have kids. Um, so we can't relate on that sense. But do any, are, is there any only children in the room? Any only child? So we all have brothers and sisters. Now, answer this honestly, not jokingly. Would any of us want to see one of our brothers and sisters offered up as a sacrifice? No, no, not not even our like like. It, say you just have a devil for a little brother. Like even at that, you don't want to see him offered up. Um, but to do that, that would take a lot of faith, knowing that God was going to fulfill his plan. Uh, it, it, it's told us elsewhere in scripture that Abraham was faithful to do this because he believed that God would raise his son from the dead. Uh, uh, the historian Josephus, he was a Jewish historian of the first century, he writes, uh, and, and he breaks this down even more, that not only did Abraham have the faith that God was going to raise him from the dead, but Isaac the son had so much honor and respect for his father that he said, all right, well, if you believe and your God says to sacrifice me, I honor you, I respect you, sacrifice me away. That blows my mind too. That, that takes a lot of faith. But what Paul, Paul doesn't even go here. Now, the end of the story, we know the end of the story. He doesn't get sacrificed because God does provide uh, a lamb. That's a picture and a foretelling of Jesus, but that's another sermon for another night. Um, but Paul doesn't use that example to show the faith because those are two really, really big faith examples. Uh, the, the example that Paul uses is Paul says, you remember when God uh, said to Abraham in his old age, he, he was very old, his wife had been without child, and he said to them in their old age, hey, you're going to have a son. We're told that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's the faith piece. That the impossible was going to be fulfilled. Now, the picture that's painted here, uh, Paul doesn't break it down for us here, but he's going to continue to break it down uh, in this letter and other letters. But that this is an example, this seed that was promised to Abraham. The seed is not the descendants being the Jews and being as numerous as the stars. The seed is Jesus. Jesus comes directly from this line. And that seed, like I said earlier, and the scapegoat and Isaac and the sheep being... God did provide, and that sheep is Jesus, and that seed that he gave to Abraham, that is Jesus. And Abraham believed, 
in the seed, the promised one that God had promised to him, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. You see that Jesus and the faith in Jesus and in the work that he did for us on the cross, that's the only thing that saves us. It's not our works. It's faith in Jesus. Unless the Jews have anything to argue with, he said, okay, well, even your King David, he describes how a man is blessed when God does not impute judgment to him, but he imputes righteousness and he does not give him the wages of his sin. What I want us to do real quick uh, is I want us to take a look at what a few uh, of the early church fathers uh, and, and, and those who were right here in this time within the first uh, few um, generations of Paul writing this and the foundation of uh, theology and the formation of, of, of the thought in the church uh, about justification because this is so this is so key especially to the first century but now here we are almost 2,000 years later and the very same concepts are speaking to the church today and and it hasn't lost its importance and we see people within the church today people with inside Christianity imposing a law on brothers and sisters that should not be there and so we're going to talk about that in just a second um, but I've I've quoted from this guy before uh, in, in sermons past but a guy by the name of John Chrysostom uh, he was a pastor in the fourth century dude was rocking you guys remember I, I, I gave the example about a month ago about when, how he would preach and people would just randomly clap during his sermon and people would like shout him down like that's amazing like woohoo good job and then he gave a sermon about how they shouldn't do that and then they stood up and clapped for him at the end of the sermon like like this dude his last name which wasn't his last name uh, but it is a name that has been given to him by his followers Chrysostom literally means golden throat. Like the dude, all he did was speak gold. He, he was so epic of a preacher. Um, and, and, and this is what he says on this portion of scripture. He said, for he that is saved as a righteous man has confidence accompanying his salvation. Whereas a person who is, is, is working out their salvation is, is trying to do works, they don't have confidence. Because the lack of confidence comes from, am I working good enough? Am I doing enough? Can I do enough to gain my salvation? But what John Chrysostom points out that Paul said here is that a man who's saved by his faith, he has perfect confidence. And that confidence is that Jesus has put the stamp of approval on his life. He goes on to say this, for a person who had no works to be justified by faith, this is nothing and is unlikely. A person who, whose works justifies them, it's impossible. Paul tells the church in Galatia that the law is not worthless. The law is actually very important. The law is a rule book. The law, but even more than a rule book, is a tutor. It's a school teacher. It's a schoolmaster that points out the necessity for grace because the law is formed and fashioned in such a way that no man can keep it to the T. No man can keep it perfectly. Even Paul himself said, Man, I was a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a Jew of Jews. I kept the law to a T. But then Jesus revealed to me that the law was not just physical, but it was spiritual. And then I realized that I am the worst of the worst. Remember, Jesus broke down that if you have hate in your heart towards a brother, then you've committed murder. He says if you've looked at anyone lustfully, then you've committed adultery. He breaks down that the law is so much more than physical. And the physical is like 99.9% .9 impossible to fulfill. Then you add the spiritual and every single person falls short. And so Paul is saying, hey, guys, Abraham, he wasn't justified by his works. The circumcision, that was not what justified him. In all reality, he was justified before he was circumcised. He was justified by his faith. Let's go on to, to, to look at a few more things that were said. But for a person who is richly adorned with the good deeds, not to be made just from these deeds, but from faith. This is the thing that causes people to wonder and to set the power of faith in a strong light. For he that glories in his works has his own labors to put forward. But he that finds his honor in having faith in God has much greater ground to glory uh, to show in that it is God that has glorified and magnified. Let me put this in more English terms. Uh, a person who's basing everything on their works they're saying, look what I've done. This is good. I did it for God, but look at what I was able to do. But to the person who says, my works can't do it. It's only God. All they can do is say, it, it's God. It's God. I didn't do anything. Faith and justification and salvation, it's not about doing. It's not about 
what we've done. It's about what's already been done by Jesus on the cross. It's not about doing. It's about what's been done. Uh, Jesus did it all. There's that song, Jesus paid it all. It's not Jesus paid 50% and I worked out the other 50. No, Jesus paid it all. And it's only through faith in him that one is saved. Paul, Paul even says that here in this portion of scripture where he says uh, that if Abraham was judged by his works, then he has much to boast about. If Abraham was judged by his works, he has much to boast about. But then how does that verse end? But not to God. But not to God. If Abraham was judged by his works, he could show the entire world, look, I am a pretty stinking good man. I left my father's household. I left my riches. I left all of that. I went into the wilderness on some crazy mission because I heard a voice in the sky say, go and I'll tell you where to stop. Not only did I do that, I almost offered my son as a sacrifice. I actually covered him in oil, tied him up, put him on an altar and was about to stab him. And then we were going to burn him. But I didn't. But I trusted God that he was going to do something. He could have boasted in all of that. He could have been like, hey, you know me and all 318 of the manservants in my house? We're all adults and we all went and circumcised ourselves. That's pretty impressive, world around us. Take a look at how cool we are or how stupid we are. But he didn't boast in those things because that's not what saved him. Because if you were to bring those things to God and say to God, hey, God, you remember that time you called me and I went? God would have been like, yeah, I asked you to do it. Good, you did it. Like, good for you. It's God that does the saving. Abraham would have had nothing to boast about in his works, but he was boasting in his faith. And his boast is that of the Lord. The Lord saying, Abraham is a man who believed what I said, and it's counted to him as righteous. Who's the one who counted the righteousness towards him? Was it his son being like, yeah, man, my dad was a good guy. He was righteous. No, God says of Abraham, he is my friend. Abraham has the title. We're, we're, we're going to see it. We're going to look at a verse in Hebrews where it says, Abraham was a friend of God. God's the one who adorned him with righteousness. God's the one who said, your faith has justified you and your faith has saved you. And this is what makes you the father of the nations is because of his faith in Jesus Christ. It goes on to say this, Abraham, who was called a friend, was found faithful in that he rendered obedience unto the words of God. He, through his obedience, went forth from his land and from his kindred and from his father's house, leaving a scant, uh, a scanty, that leaving a scanty land and a feeble kindred in a mean house, he might inherit the promises of God. So just just recapping what we had said there. Uh, it goes on to say this. Uh, th this is in um, the Epistle of Barnabas, uh, written in, in the tail end of the first century, maybe the uh, front half of the second century, uh, attributed to Barnabas, who was one of Paul's companions. It was actually more likely written by one of Barnabas' disciples. But he's writing to the Jews the very same thing that Paul was writing uh, to the church here in Rome. And he says this, And again, he says, God led Abraham forth, and unto him he looked to the heavens, and he, counted, uh, and he was told to count the stars, and to say whether he could count them or not. And so would be the seed of Abraham, who believed in God, and it was reckoned towards him as righteousness. For his faith and hospitality, a son was given into, unto him in his old age, and by obedience he offered him as a sacrifice unto God on one of the mountains which God had showed him. Then he goes on to say this, and, and, and this is a really uh, encouraging and uh, I think it's a fun little nugget for us, but, but he says this, um, but what else shall we say in truth that the people who have been circumcised is the circumcision a seal? No, because likewise, if circumcision is what saved, then the Syrians and the Arabians and all the priests of the idol, do they belong to the covenants? Moreover, the Egyptians are also included among those who have been circumcised. Learn, therefore, children of Israel, of the love of God concerning all things abundantly, that Abraham, who was first appointed to circumcision, looked forward to the Spirit unto Jesus. When he, circum when he was circumcised, having received the ordinances of three letters. And this is where it's going to get a little woo, um, but I'm going to break down the woo. 
for, for you in just a second. Uh, but it says this. For the scripture says, And Abraham circumcised of his household 18 males and 300. What then was the knowledge given unto him? Understand that he said 18 first, and after he gave an interval of 300. So Barnabas is quoting some scripture, some Jewish scripture, saying that Abraham uh, had he and his household, the men of his household, circumcised gives this number 18 and 300 in English we say 318 uh, now this portion of scripture that's being quoted we actually don't have where that is it, it, is it found in the book of Genesis word for word no so the early church had some other document that the Jews were calling scripture and it has this number now Genesis does tell us that Abraham took 318 men from his household when Lot was captured and he goes with these 318 men and, and, and does battle and all the men live and he saves Lot and brings Lot back um, so we have this 318 now in in this document that we don't have it's, it says 18 and 300 and what Barnabas is going to do is he's going to break down some things for us and so trusty old whiteboard pen uh, this is what he says about those 318 you guys ready to, to, to oh, yeah. this is a little mind blowing um, and, and if it doesn't mean anything to y'all that's totally chill it, it's not actually in the bible it's not actually scripture it's the early church use so it's not inerrant it has errancy but uh, it's still stinking awesome and I think it's really cool um <laughs> This is what it says, for Abraham said, uh, or, or for, for the scriptures say, Abraham circumcised of his household 18 males and 300. What then was the knowledge given to him? Understand that he said 18 first and then an interval of 300. In the 18, so we, we have to understand that um, the Hebrew scriptures were written in Hebrew, uh, then before Jesus' birth, they were translated into Greek. That's the Septuagint. In the Greek language, um, the Greek letters, they all have a numerical value. They don't have one, twos, threes, fours, fives, six, sevens, and eights, nines, and zeros like we do. Their, their letters have a numeral value as well. And so the numeral value for 18 or, 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 or the, the eight there in the 18 uh, is the... Roman or, or, or the Greek equivalent of a letter. It's the letter I. Uh, and then he says, the eight or, 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 or the 10 stands for H. So we have, he says I-H. Uh, and then what he's going to go on and he breaks down this, he says, uh, and because um, 300 is a T, we have a cross. So he draws this T because that's 300. So we have 18 and 300. Okay, this is the part where it gets crazy. In Greek, the name of Jesus, I'm going to write this in a different color. This is the name of Jesus written out in Greek. It's, it's invisible. Whoa. Okay, I'm going to write it in magenta. This is Greek for Jesus right here. Okay. So, what... The author of the epistle of Barnabas is saying about Abraham is that Abraham, God gave him foresight that there was going to be his Messiah, this seed, Jesus. And even in his faith to go through a circumcision and the circumcision of his household, he paints a picture that there was going to be this IH or Jesus that would come and was going to be directly related to a cross and that cross was going to equal salvation you see for for this portion of scripture that Barnabas is quoting from the circumcision of the 318 was the faith not or 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 the salvation not because of the act but because of the faith of the looking forward to Jesus so whether that's actually what scripture said uh, it's what was used to point many Jews to Christ. And we know that this was an effective document in the early church because it was circulated for the first 400 years of Christianity. It was included in some early drafts of what would become canon of Scripture. And this was used to teach Jews and Greeks that Jesus was foretold, that he was foretold that he was going to die on the cross. Now, this whole thing right here, it's not in our Bible. And the reason it's not is because there's so much more in the story of Abraham, so much more in the story of David, so much more in the story of Joseph, of Isaac, of, of, of Moses, of, of all of these Old Testament 
patriarchs and prophets that points to the coming of Jesus. And, and, and what Paul's going to do, we're going to see this as, as we continue through the book of Romans. But he's going to hit like every single major point throughout the entire Old Testament saying, hey, look, Jesus is the only way. But tonight we're just covering justification through faith, not through works. Um, Irenaeus, uh, who, who was uh, a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, uh, he's, he's one of the most prolific, one of the most prolific writers uh, of the early church, writing about uh, heresy, writing about uh, truth, writing about um, what was true doctrine. He says this. He says. Uh, in teaching this very thing, he said to the Jews, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he should see my day. And when he saw it, he was glad. What is intended? Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. In the first place, he believed that he was the maker of the heaven and the earth, the only God. And in the next place, he would make his seed as the stars of the heaven. This is what was meant by Paul when he says, As the light is in the world righteously, therefore, having left his earthly kindred, he followed the word of God, walking as a pilgrim with the word, that he might afterwards have an abode with the Lord." Now, all this being said, this, this is just a bunch of information uh, that, that isn't even that important. Uh, in, in all reality, it just backs the point that Paul has already made. Uh, and, and the point that Paul has made is that justification is not by works. All of chapter 3 points to us that our works cannot save us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only thing that saves us is faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says to the church uh, in, in, in Galatia the exact same thing, uh, and, and he breaks it down further that if it were our works, then our faith is in vain, but it is Christ in him who died on the cross, his justification of us through his, um, his death and resurrection. Now, the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews is going to break down uh, even more. So, so if you have your Bibles, flip, flip over to the book of Hebrews, uh, and I'm going to give you the portion of Scripture here. Uh, it is Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 17, uh, verses 17 through 19. Um, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, In Isaac your sheep shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, uh, from which he received him in a figurative sense. And then it goes on to say, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things which were to come. And then he goes on to say that by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, uh, uh, each of the sons of Joseph, and worshipped uh, leaning on the top of his staff. And by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the uh, departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Uh, Abraham not only passed down the lineage of being a Jew, but he passed down the lineage of being someone uh, who is of faith. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 9. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was cru uh, clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn uh, from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith, just as Abraham believed in God and it was accounted towards him as righteousness? Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all of the nations shall be blessed, so that those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Um, so what Paul does in, in, in all of his writing is, is he's pointing out the fact that there's justification and that justification comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Now if you have your Bible still open, flip over to the book of James. Because we're going to see something that, that comes up amongst the early church. Uh, and, and it is a question that is asked of many uh, who who question the Bible, question the Bible's validity. 
And this is what it says here in James chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. James says this, But someone will say to you, uh, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by the works of his faith he was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed in God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see then that man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now this one portion of James would seem to contradict and go counter to everything we've already said tonight. He says, and he, he even uses the same story of Abraham. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, but he says Abraham believed and it was the works that were the evidence. So to someone who's looking at it, they can be like, well, this is a blatant contradiction in Scripture. Paul says we're saved by faith. James says we're saved by works. Who's right? How can one actually be saved? But what I would like to point out and what I would like to say here is, is that James is not pointing or painting a new way of justification. He's not painting a new picture of what it means to be saved. In all actuality, James is doing the exact same thing Paul does uh, in, in the um, – the first part of chapter 3, uh, and in the first part of chapter 6, when, when, when he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound more? It, if, 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 it is our, if it is our works that don't save us, and it's only <coughs> grace and it's faith in that grace, well then shouldn't we be able to sin more so that we could receive more grace? Well, Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 6, he says, Certainly not. How shall we who have died in sin live any longer in it? Um, this, this verse 2 here uh, of chapter 6 of Romans, uh, Paul, Paul just puts it down, certainly not. But James spends an entire chapter breaking down what that certainly not actually looks like in the life of a believer. James is not saying that it is our uh, faith doesn't save. He's saying, yes, by all means, faith saves, but faith must be accompanied by works. Must be accompanied by works. Uh, I, I had a conversation with a young man uh, about two weeks ago. He was, he was talking to me uh, about uh, faith. He was talking to me about Christianity. He was talking to me about salvation. And the question that he raised, he said, all right, well, let's say God has saved me. I've been saved. God has chosen me. I, I'm saved. I've received salvation. I put my faith in God. I'm saved. Now God, because God's perfect, he saved me. That means I'm saved through and through. So because I'm saved, does that mean I can live any way I would like? Now, that's the question that they were asking Paul centuries ago. And Paul said, certainly not. But somehow we've gotten to this point today where this young gentleman said, well, if God is perfect and God is just, he saved me. He knows the end from the beginning, so I'm saved regardless. So I should just be able to live however I would like to live. And I'm still saved because my faith is in Jesus, and faith is what saves. Now, that statement is not a new statement. That statement was the very same statement that the church was saying 2,000 years ago. And that's why James had to write... And he writes an open letter to the churches and he says, guys, just because we have grace and you've put your faith in Jesus, that does not mean that we do not do works. It's not the works that save us, but it is the works that are a reflection of the saving power that has already taken place inside of us. He says that faith not accompanied by works is actually dead faith. Because Abraham, he had faith, but he still went. Mm -hmm. Abraham, he had faith, and he still went through all the way up until an angel grabbed his wrist and said, hey, you don't have to kill, there's a sheep over there. Abraham had faith, even though it seemed physically impossible. His wife actually laughed at God, but Abraham said, yeah, we're still going to do this thing. Abraham had faith, and the faith saved him, 
but his faith was secured by the works. So, in the church today, and in Christianity today, there are many people who tell us that we have to live a certain way, that we have to fit a certain box, and that if we don't do things a certain way, then our salvation is somehow less than theirs. Uh, a few years ago, uh, it was, you know, if you wear jeans to church, you might not be saved. Now, people would not actually say that, but that was the demeanor. The demeanor was, if you're not wearing a suit and tie, you either got to go to the back of the church, find a new church, or have a one-on-one with God because you're not dressing right. And people got okay with jeans, and people got okay with flannels. Then it was t-shirts and shorts. You wore t-shirts and shorts to church? Oh my, oh my, oh my. Like, not good news. That's terrible news. Like, you're a bad person. Um, then it was like, okay, shirts and shorts, they're okay. Uh, then it was like hats. If you wear a hat in church, you're some sort of heathen. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, God doesn't care about the religiosity of people. He cares about people's faith. Uh, the old adage is, is, is you never judge a book by its cover, right? Perfect churchgoer with a suit and tie on, looking all great. They might be the dirtiest person there. Not dirty physically, but dirty spiritually, yeah. who's putting on a facade. Much like the Jews of the first century were doing. Jesus called them out. This isn't like something new to Paul. Jesus called him out. He said, hey, Pharisees, you who say we have to live by the law, and you hold everyone to the T of the law. He says, you have tithed the, the anise and the cumin and all these things. You've done good. Great job on following the law. But you've neglected the weightier things of the law, like mercy, like love, like grace, like kindness. Jesus says, you guys are like whitewashed sepulchers. Anyone know what a whitewashed sepulcher is? It's like a beautiful marble grave. And it looks beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, it's just got a bunch of dead bones. Wow. Smells like rotting flesh. Pretty disgusting. And Jesus calls out those who were of the re religious group that was all about religion, religion, religion. It is this. And, oh, we have our faith in Abraham. He was our father. Boom, boom, boom. Jesus broke it down and said, no, 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 none of that matters. Love your brother. Love your neighbor. Love the Lord your God. All of it is summed up in those things. But even after Jesus, people still debating, 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 debating. Paul says, no, it's not the works. James says the works demonstrate and show what has already taken place in us. And it is faith that saves us. It's not only faith in, 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 in Christ that saves us, but it is faith that justifies us. And that justification then leads to sanctification in the process of sanctification. It's faith that kickstarts justification then the works because of justification are what continually affect our sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy, the process of becoming righteous, and not a one of us are going to be sanctified. Now, I want to I want to break this down in just a second because uh, Paul tells us that we are sanctified. So i got to break that down for us in just a second. But none of us are going to be sanctified to the fullest extent, until we die. Does that make sense? Yeah. None of us are going to... So, so Paul does tell us that we are already sanctified. When Paul tells us we're already sanctified, he's speaking from God's perspective. God sees the end from the beginning. If you've put your faith in Jesus, God sees you as a finished project. That's why it says in Ephesians that we are his workmanship. He, he sees the masterpiece even when we're still in the process of becoming the masterpiece. So we'll never see the full sanctification until we die because that's when God has done his full work in us. But God sees us from that place. So we live our lives justified and sanctified, but we're in this process of sanctification, and that's the works uh, that James is talking about. So we do not do uh, the works to be blessed, but rather because we are blessed. We do not do works. We do not do Christianity. We, 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 we do not do the things of faith to receive blessing from God. We do them because we already are blessed. Um, David and his works. Uh, David, if he was judged by his works. Um, let's just take a quick little look at David's life. Uh, we, we've all heard of David. 
let's throw out some of the exploits that David did. Some really awesome things David did. What are some awesome things that David did? Oh uh, yeah, he killed Goliath. That's a pretty big deal. Um, what's something else David did? He saved Saul, or didn't kill Saul. Yeah, he did. He, he had opportunity to kill his arch nemesis, but rather showed mercy and grace. Pretty good guy. What are some other things David did? We're talking good and bad? Yeah, let's just talk about good right now. <laughs> he wrote a bunch of songs about God. Yeah, he wrote a bunch of songs about God. Like, the dude could have been the DJ of DJs. Like, yeah. What are some other good things that David did? Wasn't he a man after God's own heart? Yeah, he was a man after God's own heart. Really good. What are some other good things that David did? Took out like 50 guys with just him and his shield bearer. Yeah, the dude was a slayer for the Lord. What's another good thing he did? I had beautiful eyes. Okay, yeah. The man, man was handsome. <laughs> amen, amen. Uh, so yeah, David, David was a good guy, right? David was a good guy. These things are pretty good. Now let's just start throwing out some of the bad things that David did. Yeah, like kills one of his best friends. Um, that's just a tiny little bit of the story. Yeah, there's more to the story. David doesn't personally kill him. He sets him up to go out to the most heavy part of a battle so that the troops that were his would retreat and leave him alone in the heaviest part of battle to be killed by the enemy. Uh, that's pretty messed up. Now let's look at, well, why did David murder his best friend by proxy? Oh, because his best friend wouldn't sleep with his own wife. Well, why did David want his best friend to sleep with his own wife? Oh, yeah, because David had gotten that girl pregnant. How did David get that girl pregnant? Oh, yeah, he was up on his roof watching her take a bath, said, she's pretty hot. Why don't you come by the palace tonight? The rest is history. Uh, David wasn't a very good person when you look at those. What are some of the other bad things David did? All right. Well, David did other not so good things, but let's just take the one. Let's judge David by his works because that's what the Jews say saves. That's what they were. That's why Paul was writing this. It's the works that save. Let's judge Jew hero number probably two or three on the list of heroes to the Jews. Let's judge him by his works. That one in and of itself pretty much disqualifies him. Envy, covetousness, adultery, murder, lying, stealing. Uh, I mean, we go down, continues to live as if he's a man of God. That's blaspheming God. I mean, you just start breaking down the list. Uh, he, he pretty much does all of them except probably dishonor his mother and father. They probably didn't know about it. But they probably raised him as a better man. So yeah, he probably failed all the Ten Commandments. You know, like like he in one yeah, in one fail swoop, just a few short days. If he was judged by his works, pretty much ruined his eternal salvation. But was he justified by his works? No. What does the Bible say of him? He was a man after God's own heart. Wait, you mean I can be a man after God's own heart? Go commit adultery and go murder? All right. No. No. That, that, that's not what it's about. David realized that his works were in no way going to save him. He writes psalms that created me a clean heart, O oh God. He goes on to say in that psalm, uh, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He, he realized, I am the worst of the worst. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And he literally was, because his works were not very noble. Yet, he would fear not, because God was by his side. God was restoring his soul. God was restoring the joy of his salvation. It wasn't, it wasn't his works. That's why David says right here, as Paul quotes him in verse 7 of Romans chapter 4, he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, 
David understood confession. The prophet Nathan comes to him and says, Dave, Dave, we got a problem in the kingdom. David said, all right, what's the problem? Like, we got to deal with this. David said, well, there's this guy. He only has one sheep, and it's like it's like his favorite sheep. It's the only sheep he has. He's been raising it since it was a lamb. Uh, he doesn't have a barn because he's really poor, so the, the sheep comes and sleeps with his kids, sleeps with his family. It's it's the family pet. It's like their favorite sheep. And he's, he's painting this picture of just this cute, cuddly sheep that is so dear to this family. And then David says, yeah, and he's got the neighbor who's got hundreds of sheep, just richer than rich, has more sheep than he knows what to do with. Uh, and he had a neighbor or, 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 or a visitor come into town, and it was time he was going to throw a big party for him, eat a lot of food. They were going to kill a lamb. And rather than kill one of his own lambs, he goes, he knocks on his neighbor's door and steals his neighbor's lamb, kills it. The lamb that was sleeping with his family. It was just, it was the family lamb. It watched Netflix with them. It was like, it was the family lamb. And he killed him, and he ate him, and he showed no remorse. And David, so furious with rage, says, we're going to go, and we're going to, like, slaughter this dude. Because that is a reproach upon the nation. That is not who we are. Give me the man's name. And Nathan says, David, you idiot. I'm talking about you. It's the very thing that you did. And David in that moment breaks down. And he realizes, I have sinned not only against man, but I've sinned against God. I need forgiveness. I am a broken man. And he says this, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are not, or, or whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute his sin. Mm-hmm. David realized that his works would never, ever, ever save him. And it was only faith in God. Faith in God. Uh, David goes on to prophesy, even in his songs, about Messiah coming. David understood. Moses understood. Abraham understood that there was salvation coming. And it was a salvation from God. The law was a placeholder that would point us to a need for righteousness. And it would also show us our flaws and how that our works will never save us and we must believe and not the law, but in the lawgiver. And that is what saved. Paul, when writing to the church in Rome, and we're going to see this in the next few weeks, um, he, he never really leaves this point. Uh, this point becomes the bedrock and the foundation for pretty much everything Paul teaches. Um, and so... You're going to hear a lot of these same themes and, and, and examples over and over again over the next however many weeks we're in the book of Romans. Um, but just like Paul never leaves this, it, it's not just the book of Romans, it's Ephesians, it's Galatians, it's Corinthians, it's Thessalonians. Like, this is Paul's bedrock. Um, the gospel never gets old. The gospel never gets old. Um and as, as people who have grown up in church, or maybe people who haven't grown up in church, but you've been coming to Ecclesia for the last few weeks, and you've heard the same thing over and over again, it can become somewhat repetitive, and it can become something where we're like, yeah, I've heard it before, that's great, let's rock and roll with it. Um, but the question that I want to pose, and, uh, and, and the challenge I want to pose with this, we have heard all of this. Uh, and, and it's still a... And none of us would argue that it has lost importance. Um, But the reason Paul kept writing it over and over and over again is because he realized this statement was true about his life. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's Paul's foundation. And he's not ashamed of it because it's the gospel and it's powerful. And the reason Paul keeps nailing it home, nailing it home, nailing it home, sets the example for us even today as we read this to continue nailing this home, is because we live in a world, in a society, that is so wrapped up in rules of do's and don'ts, and the juxtaposition of the society that's a rule of do's and don'ts is we also live in a society of who cares what we do and who cares what we don't do. 
and and there seems to be some tension between the the two. And Paul is painting the picture of a church that sits somewhere in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. That it's not what we do or we don't do, and it's not why we do or don't do. It's that we believe, and because we believe, now we're not going to do, and we are going to do. The reason why it's so important is because you know people, I know people, who sit on both sides. We know people who are so religious that it's nauseating. And because there's that nauseating sense of the religiosity, there's people on this side that are so turned off to rules that they say all Christians just hate because all they have is rules that are unachievable. Well, the honesty is they are unachievable, but Christ achieved them, and now faith in Christ is what saves us. And so because it's not works that save, humanity has hope. Because it is not the works that save us, or the necessity of works that save us, humanity has hope. Because in and of itself, humanity can try as hard as it wants to earn their way to heaven. And Jesus actually tells us that that's going to happen. And he says, even man's best and greatest works are still filthy rags. That, I mean, the greatest of the great, humanity-wise. I mean, start throwing names around like Mother Teresa and, 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 and so many people who just did amazing things for this world. Aside from faith in Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. And that's, at times, a hard pill to swallow because we can look, we can see our friends, our non-Christian friends, who are doing very good. And their excuse might be, well, I'm already doing good. I don't need religion or I don't need God. But the reality is, there is none good, no, not even one, saving Jesus Christ. What is our level of good? What def- defines what is goodness? Well, the only thing that defines goodness is the only thing that was good, and that was Jesus. And so we have to measure against that. And as Romans tells us, we all fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And so there is a necessity for faith, and there is a necessity for grace. And the reason why I'm saying all this, I'm going to close with this and then we're going to pray, um, is uh, we have friends who do not know the Lord. We have friends who think they know the Lord, but they actually know the law. Um, And there is saving power that comes when the gospel is preached. Uh, You don't have to be an eloquent speaker whose last name is Chrysostom, meaning you're the golden voice, you know. Uh, I I am the furthest from that. Uh, But when the gospel goes forth, unashamedly, there's power unto salvation. So I want to encourage you guys. Um, We're going to be in the book of Romans for for, for quite a while. Uh, Dan's actually going to speak next week uh, on on Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Uh, And he's going to hit a lot of the same points. And he's going to bring the gospel. And there's people that need to hear the gospel. Uh, And you know them. They might sit in a cubicle next to you. They might ride the trimet best next to you. Uh, You might be friends with them on Facebook. You might coach them in football. You might work in in a kitchen with them. You might, uh, uh, they might be fellow janitors. You might meet them at the uh, CCC bookstore or at Fred Miner training day. Um, Wherever we are. There are people who need the gospel. Yeah. And we have it. And so I want to encourage you guys, not because I want this room to be super packed or anything like that. This is not about numbers. This is not about feel good. Ooh, we got a great big group. Um, we don't need the group. The group needs to be equipped so that we could have many little groups or little coffee dates with this person or that person. 
but that the gospel is flowing from us. Yeah. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And when we are so full and saturated, like a sponge that has been sitting in a cup of water, so full of water that when you squeeze it, the only thing that comes out is water. That's how we are to be as followers of Christ. So saturated with the gospel. Because if we're not saturated with the gospel, if if we don't hear the message of faith, the message of justification, we become a dry sponge that when you squeeze it, it just gets crusty. Sometimes it hurts your hand. It smells bad. Mm-hmm. You know, that's Christianity without the power of the gospel. It's a dry sponge. So we soak up the word of God. We soak up the gospel. And then we go and we wring it out. Everywhere we go. Yeah. Now, maybe a great bouncing point is Ecclesia. Maybe a great bouncing point is Wednesday night at the Word. Maybe you got high school friends. Send them to youth group. Maybe you have friends that are 50, and Ecclesia would not be the place for them. Go hang out. Get coffee with them. Talk to them. Let the gospel flow forth from you. Because Paul says, I'm not ashamed. It's the power of God and salvation. Not only to those who are circumcised, but to those who are uncircumcised also. No matter where you are in your walk, and I'm closing with this, no matter where you are in your walk of faith, David wasn't the best dude at times. He was a stud at other times. Abraham, he made some mistakes too. Moses, another great guy, did some really good things. Also messed up. Also messed up quite a few times. Peter, great dude, solid, messed up quite a bit. It, it seems that God uses uh, inadequate people to do his purpose. I've, I've said it before and I'll probably say it a million times by the time I die. But God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those that are called. And he's called every follower of Christ to be someone who shares the gospel. Yeah. So whether you're someone who feels like, you know what, I'm a Bible scholar, I'm on top of it, I could be preaching every single Sunday, this is going to be great, uh, or your person is like, you know what, I maybe know two or three verses, I'm still st- I'm still sitting quite a bit, but I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm trying to live for the Lord. Uh, wherever you are on that spectrum, uh, God's got an assignment for you, and it's to share the gospel. You've been saved by faith, now show your faith with some works so that your faith is alive and your faith is in action and that there will be fruit. Jesus says, you'll know, they, they will know whose you are by the fruit that you bear. We're bearing fruit. We're bearing fruit. Let's be people who bear fruit for the Lord uh, because we have been saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we, uh, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, God, and we thank you that your word uh, is truth. It is 100% truth, uh, God, and you speak to us. Thank you for inspiring Paul uh, all those years ago, God, to to paint the picture for us of, of salvation, the picture for us of uh, justification, the picture for us of what it means to have faith rather than base everything on our works. God, may we not boast in our works, but may we boast in you and in the grace that you have given us. And so that when people see that grace, uh, God, they can be transformed from the inside out. So, God, we just thank you. Uh, we praise you. Go with us as we go from this place. Uh, and may in everything you receive all the glory, honor, uh, and praise. So, God, we worship you and we praise you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.